Well, good morning again. My name is Sean, the lead pastor here. If you have your bulletin, you want to hold on to that. On page 10 is the sermon text for today, and on page 11 is the kids' version. This morning we're working our way through uh, some parables in the Gospel of Luke. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 12. It's printed for you uh, in full on page 10 in your bulletin there. There's also a, a kids' version on page 11. We'll be referring to both of those throughout uh, the sermon, so you'll need those. And boys and girls, if you're still here and you want to go to the kids' uh, church, you're welcome to go at this point. And for the rest of us, you guys are all nice and comfortable, and I see blankets, so I'm not going to make you stand as is normal. But would you please follow along as I read to us Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. <clears throat> Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Well, let's pray together. You know, gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to condescend to us to give us truth, Lord, for our growth and for our transformation, that we might become more like Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would, in this text, show us our sin. Show us how we long after so many things besides you. And then by your Spirit, would you show us how beautiful and attractive you really are. And you are what our souls long for. And we pray, Father, that you may be found and that you would satisfy us through Jesus. We pray you would do this, Father, by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So several years ago, I read a book that was very impactful in my life. It was called The Shangtung Compound. And it was written by a survivor of this English language college in China that was captured early in World War II. And so they spent all of World War II in a Japanese POW camp. At first, these, this university faculty, a small college, about 150 people total uh, on the staff, they, 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 they took solace in at least, this is his, his testimony, not mine, said that they, that they would have a blank slate where they could prove that their modern, academic, anti-traditionalist, utopian beliefs could really make a better society. At least we have a blank slate we could show everybody. If you'll just do it like we always teach our students, you'll have a great life. After they were there for a while, severely malnourished, the American Red Cross showed up and delivered POW packs. There were food and toiletries provided for every American, which was about 20 of this staff. But the Americans shared with everybody and they rejoiced. And it was a great time of community building. Months and months later, when they were all starving again, a wagon full of over 300 POW packs showed up. Food and toiletries 
for everybody. They all rejoice because they're going to get two whole packs each, not just have to share. The next morning, however, the guards passed out one pack each and said the rest are too much trouble, and they sent them on. It turned out a group of Americans that very night had gone to the warden insisting that since these are from the American Red Cross, these were meant for only the Americans. So, no, not everybody gets two. We get 15 each. Their greed caused the whole camp to suffer loss. The author says, quote, I suddenly realized that Western culture's dream of material progress as the answer to every ill actually divided us from one another and destroyed every vestige of communal unity. So what are we doing here? We're working through some parables of Jesus. Parables are stories that Jesus used to teach truths to people. One of, one of the main themes that we're tracing in these parables is what our culture calls enoughness. Often it's that we base our life on our accomplishments, our status, our possessions. We want to feel like we're worthy, like we're enough. And today we're going to see that like these selfish POWs, we're going to see a man looking to material success in order to feel enough, in order to have peace. That gets us to our theme for today, which is this. Let the wind pass. There we go. Our heart craves God's riches in Jesus, but we try to satisfy our heart with a shopping spree. <laughs> our heart craves God's riches in Jesus, but we try to satisfy that craving with a shopping spree. We'll start out, I want to look at verse 19, which is kind of like the thematic center of this text. It's the emotional center of this text where this rich guy talks to himself in verse 19. He says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So the first thing he says, notice he says, soul. Anybody have a friend or know anybody named Zoe? That's the Greek word for life. It's used in verse 15. Here in verse 19, the word for soul is the word psyche, where we get like psychology and things from. It's often translated as soul. And basically, Zoe is kind of an abstract concept. It means being alive, whereas psyche is very tangible. It refers to your whole person, your whole being. So the rich guy is talking to his whole person, his inner self. And what does he say to himself? He says, I have enough to rest. I can relax. Finally, I've arrived. I mean, his sense of palpable relief is just amazing. It's intense. He's like, he goes, relax. I mean, you can hear that exhale of satisfaction when you slow down and actually read this text as it is, can't you? I've built this. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be okay. <sighs> this ancient Near Eastern man could be our neighbor, couldn't he? He could be us. This is exactly what most of us want, isn't it? Make me feel enough. Make me feel happy. Give me rest. Let me have peace. Several years ago, a movie came out called Kate and Leopold. It starred Meg Ryan and Hugh Jackman. And he, turns out, is from a more traditional culture. And she, they meet each other. She's an ad exec in modern-day New York. And he gets cast as an actor into a commercial that she's making for this low-fat imitation butter. 
and after rewrites and reshoots and they keep recasting it, he's never actually taken a bite. He's always just said his lie and held it right there. And when he actually does, it tastes awful. He calls it pond scum and he refuses to lie being from a traditional culture. He's not going to sell himself out. And he confronts her for her willingness to spin a product that she knows is just wretched. And her response to him is profound. The screenwriters are really touching on a, a point in our heart. That she says this. She says, I have been paying dues all of my life, and I'm tired, and I need a rest. And if I have to peddle a little pond scum to get one, so be it. I get that. I bet you do too. Or if you don't, if Hollywood's not doing it for you, okay? Social critic, cultural philosopher, Will McDavid says it this way, gaining our identity from our vocation engenders a basic insecurity. No matter how good we are at our job, we never feel enough. We never feel like we've arrived. That's this guy in this parable. If I can just build these barns to protect my stuff, I can rest. And here's the really scary part. Jesus says that this basic human need to feel enough, to rest, is right where covetousness attacks us. It enslaves us. It whispers to us, do more, make more, be more, get more. You'll be enough. You can rest. Boys and girls, still here, I want to make sure you're hanging with me. So I want you to look on your page 11 at your verse 19. Here's how, it, here's how he says it for you. He says, Then I will know that I am safe and nothing bad can happen to me. I can finally rest and be happy. Okay, boys and girls, you know that feeling. All your chores and responsibilities are done. Your homework is done for the day, for the night. And you still have about an hour left before bedtime. You're kind of free to do what you would like to do at this point. That's the best part of the day, isn't it? Right? Like, yes, I can do what I need, want to do at this point. You know, you want to know a secret, boys and girls? The older you get, we have a harder and harder time getting that feeling in our life. Where we can just like, oh, I'm done. I can relax. All the stuff I have to do is over. And now I can have some want to time. I can have some me time. I can go back to my man cave or my she shed and just have me time. That's what, that's what Jesus is getting at here. That's what this guy wants. We all want that feeling of everything is good. We can relax. We can be happy. See, the man in the story that Jesus tells, he looks at his success and he makes a plan to get deep soul satisfaction. He says, I've got all the stuff. Now I've got to protect the stuff so I'll feel okay. He wants to feel safe. Just like our neighbors. Just like us. Right? Wealth. Having lots of stuff. Having security. It's not going to satisfy our souls what Jesus wants us to see. He really wants us to know that. He wants us to experience the deep soul satisfaction that He offers. And so He shows us that trying to be enough from stuff, from career, it cannot give us the rest that we seek. See, because our heart craves God's riches in Jesus, and we try to satisfy it with a shopping spree. And Jesus makes that really clear in the story itself in verses 13 through 18. Where he shows us enough stuff. So here in Luke 12, what Jesus has been doing, he has spent an extended time of teaching. He's just given two brief warnings that salvation doesn't come from getting your act together. 
And then he gives this promise of deep grace during suffering. It's really good stuff. And this guy stands up and interrupts Jesus in the midst of all that good stuff. He's like, hey, you know, that whole like uh, suffering, comfort during grace thing, man, that's just super, Jesus, really. Um, can you help me get my stuff for my brother? And this dude doesn't care about God's provision. He doesn't care about God's closeness. He doesn't care about Jesus' teaching that you don't have to impress God. You don't have to get your act together. He doesn't care about any of that. He's tired of all this religious stuff. He wants to get to what's really important, Jesus. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about status. And before we judge him too harshly, I mean, we in church world do this to Jesus too, right? What's important to us, we bring to Jesus. We bring to church for validation. And so we want to hear about this thing that's important to me. Not Jesus and the gospel again. I want to hear about this. And Jesus' answer to this man demanding action on his priority is really profound. He basically says, I don't care. Money is not on my mind as much as it is yours. Jesus is not brushing aside this man's call for justice. There were civic courts for that. But he is brushing aside his concern. And, and the way he says man there instead of friend or anything, in that culture, it's, it's borderline disrespectful. This guy stands up and interrupts and disrespects, and Jesus kind of gives it right back. Because, see, Jesus is not about the incidental fixing of wrongs. Je- rather, Jesus came to bear the cost of fixing the main thing wrong in the world, sin and death. So Jesus gets to the heart of the issue behind the man's question. Let's look together at verse 15 there on page 10. Jesus, he says this. He says, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life. That's that's that word Zoe. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So it's, it's life, it's Zoe, it's the generalized idea of being alive. Maybe, maybe Jesus was walking into town that day and he saw a chariot with that bumper sticker, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. And Jesus is like, no, no you don't. He gets to the heart of the issues. Life is not about exceedingly getting more and more stuff. Covetousness is what he says. That's such a religious sounding word. I mean, when's the last time, you don't have to raise your hand, when's the last time someone dropped the word covetousness in casual conversation for you? Right? It's greed tied to competition. It's not just wanting more. It's wanting more than them. It's, it's feeling enough through accumulation so you've got to always get more. Remember our opening story. A handful of American complainers were not happy with two packs. They wanted more than everyone else. We know that's in our heart, don't we? And we really don't want it there. But it doesn't go away voluntarily. That's why Jesus says here, take care, beware, stay on guard. It's the charge you give to a sentry looking over the camp at night. There is an enemy out there that wants to conquer and enslave. Watch out. The Apostle Paul, a former expert on the Old Testament, who became a Christian missionary and pastor, he really captured this idea when he wrote to the fledgling church in the Roman city of Colossae where he said, coveting is idolatry. It's a master we serve. It's a master we worship, we give our lives to. It's not merely a character flaw. This man came to Jesus to magically fix his life. In his discontent, he reaches out to genie Jesus. Let me rub your lamp, Jesus. Give me some magic. Fix my life. 
And Jesus tells this guy, I'm not going to fix your life. I'm going to fix you. Because your problem is not a missing inheritance. Your problem is that you think the inheritance will heal your heart. So Jesus tells him a story about a man who also thought the accumulation of stuff would heal his heart. And in the story, Jesus channels Bernie Sanders because he talks about a rich man who gets richer. Now don't be thinking about a humble farmer when you hear this story. Verse 16 kind of implies with the verbiage, tracts of land producing a bumper crop. This is like an investor or an owner farmer. This is not a guy who gets his hands dirty farming. And the description of him later in verse 17 and 18 proves that out. Um, so I have a little bit of experience with this. Before they sold it all out, Nikki's family were big time farmers in, in north central Arkansas, excuse me, eastern central Arkansas. And all through my grad school, um, when you, know, you get a pastor in the family, every time we would visit her dad, the farmer, he would work into every conversation. Sean, you gotta pray for rain. Sean, you gotta pray for rain. You see, farmers know that external forces make crops grow. In ancient Israel, they gave credit to God. In our culture, we don't always do that. But not this guy. This man, as he muses about his success, notice in verses 17 through 18, the 9 to 10 references he makes to himself. He's not grateful to God at all. The land produced, he produced, not God. See, note this man is the opposite of imposter syndrome. If you're in the white-collar world, you've heard of imposter syndrome. It's like a big thing in HR right now where people all across the, the cultural spectrum, all across a company, people from the lowest person on the pyramid to the CEO, deep down inside, ser secret surveys have shown the overwhelming majority of people feel like they've gotten their position by luck, not by skill, and they're desperately afraid that someone's going to find out they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> How confident is that? Isn't that great to hear? See, it's not just you. It's called imposter syndrome. It's a thing. And this guy has the opposite of imposter syndrome. He is blessed beyond his competence. Right? It's not like this bumper crop snuck up on him, right? It's not like all of a sudden one day, whoa, everything's growing. I should build barns. He saw it coming and never built the barns. He could have prepared instead of waiting. The agrarian listeners to Jesus would have picked up on that and be like, why didn't he build them in advance? They didn't sneak up on him. Right? It's not kudzu. It didn't grow overnight. See, but here's where we have to be careful. Here's where, we, here's where we take a plot point and, we, and we, we deflect any conviction from it by emphasizing a plot point that's not there. Jesus is silent on what he should have done with the excess. The common, well, he should have given it to the poor is actually not valid. If you remember, if you were here when we preached through Ruth, they actually had a really great social safety net called gleaning that the poor actually had more food than they knew what to do with at harvest time. It was six to nine months later when they would have needed help, when full barns would have been quite handy, actually, for them. See, the text is not focused on what he should have done. The text is focused on the covetous heart of the man, of seeking soul satisfaction through enough stuff. Remember verse 19, where we started out, was a fantasy. It was a dream of what could be. All his hopes and desires for his life were coming together. And he's like, I'm going to arrive. I'm going to get there. To see what this text is really getting at, I want us to all look at the kids' version on page 11, verse 17 and 18 together. It says this, He thought to himself, I have got to store this crop before it goes bad. I know. I'll tear down my barns and build nicer, bigger ones so I can keep the crop plus all my stuff close 
and safe. See, he wanted to protect his stuff because he felt protected by his stuff. He was a prisoner of his own covetousness. His success that made him feel enough, so he had to protect that success. His actions reveal his heart. He is enslaved to his stuff. He thinks that it will fulfill his heart. Just like us. See, our heart craves God's riches in Jesus, but we try to satisfy it with a shopping spree. And Jesus shows us that satisfaction comes not through stuff, but through enough Jesus in verses 20 and 21. So in verse 19, this rich guy rejoices because he has enough stuff to fill his heart, and then he can finally rest. But then we get to verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So the first thing is this. Okay? God is not calling this guy brainless, but godless by calling him a fool. Fool comes to us in English through the idea of clowns and buffoons and medieval gestures. That's, that's not the classical world idea of a fool. To be foolish was to be the opposite of wise. Most consistently, a fool is used to describe someone who consistently ignores God and acts in self-destructive patterns. This is exactly how it's used here. God is not calling the guy stupid. He responds to the self-destructive pattern in someone he loves just like you would. You're hurting yourself. Don't be so foolish. That's a fool in the classical world. See, if the theme for this passage is correct, if our heart craves God's riches in Jesus, but we try to satisfy our heart with a shopping spree instead, if that's accurate, we too are fools wallowing in an utterly self-destructive behavior pattern, looking to stuff or to status or to accumulation to make us feel enough, to make us feel rest, instead of resting in Jesus as he's offered in the gospel. You know, the original hearers of this story would pick up on something that we miss. That word required there is actually a financial term for calling in a loan. It's a financial parable, right? And so we're going to keep with this financial image. Jesus is basically saying, God, this very night, calls in the loan of his life. See, Jesus wants his people, all his people to see that the soul satisfaction they crave is only found in the riches that God offers, not the riches of stuff. I mean, imagine this idea of God calling in the loan of your life. Imagine God sending you a monthly installment bill for your faults. Things we left undone we should have done. Things we did we should not have done. Imagine the debt we all owe. So while this guy is looking at his bloated investment portfolio, thinking about how awesome his retirement will be, how much he needs to send a Christmas gift for sure to his financial planner, telling his heart, I can relax and be happy. In reality, God says, actually, you're upside down on your entire life, and I'm calling in your loan right now. See, Jesus presses home here by using this financial terminology that our biggest debt, the thing that causes our stress, the thing that causes our anxiety, the reason we strive to be enough is because we're alienated from our Creator. We feel this separation, this upside down loan that causes us stress. God basically says in verse 20, you live in rebellion to me and you think you can cover our conflict with more stuff? Your bill is due in full. 
What, do, what good is your stuff now? See, in our quest to be enough, Jesus wants us to hear loud and clear, nothing in this world, nor everything in this world, can satisfy our hearts. Look at me at verse 21. What does he say? He says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, instead, instead of being dismissive of the care and benefits of God, as this man was at the very beginning of the passage, Jesus says, no, a connection to God is actually the source of your satisfaction. That phrase, rich towards God, is odd. So it's a, it's a, you don't hear that very often. Jesus is, is forcing a financial metaphor over this whole thing. And so I, I tried to unpack that for the boys and girls. Let's look at your verse 21, boys and girls. Here's what he said. So too, Jesus said to the crowd, is everyone who tries to find rest and happiness through stuff instead of trusting God to give those things to his family. See, that, that idea of being rich is actually a verb form that's used 21 times in the New Testament to talk about God's grace through Jesus. God is, Jesus is making a, an appeal to His grace using financial terms. He's saying the riches of God that can satisfy our hearts, those riches are found in the person of Jesus Christ. Who, what did He do through His life, through His death, through His resurrection, He brings us into the family of God. The, the sonship that is true of Jesus becomes your daughtership, your sonship, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and you get the riches of God. And what do the riches of God and Jesus do? Well, the first thing they do, they pay off our upside-down loan. They pay off the debt of sin to reconcile us to God. At our death, when God calls in the loan, the debt of sin we owe, the tangible rebellion expressed in our lives, Jesus paid for all that at the cross. And the riches of God as that loan is paid off. The slate is wiped clean. We are free. In keeping with the financial image, so the death of Jesus, we're no longer in debt, but we're broke, right? We're at zero. So next, the riches of God in Jesus then gives us the price of admission. See, we're saved by the death of Jesus. We're also saved by the life of Jesus. And so the riches of His obedience are given to us. We're counted as righteous and holy before God Himself. We're adopted into His family and told to call Him Father. Oh, that's the benefit. It turns internal for us. And we see now the riches of God and Jesus pays off our debt, gives us the price of admission, and finally it satisfies our heart here and now. The sole satisfaction we crave, it's ours through Jesus Christ. The acceptance, the approval, the rest, that feeling of enough, all of that is given to God's family when we're brought in through Jesus Christ. Now being rich towards God is what Jesus offers in Himself on the cross. Being united to Jesus by faith will satisfy you in all the ways that an accumulation of stuff just can't. Oh, turn your thirsty hearts away from the various shopping sprees that our culture offers. Embrace Jesus as He's offered in the Gospel and you will be satisfied. And you can finally <sighs> exhale and rest in Jesus. Oh, that's the Gospel. Embrace it again for the first time. 
Now let's pray. My gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your word, having heard, and Lord, we admit we, we long to find satisfaction through getting things, through accumulation of a lifestyle that makes us feel okay. Would you forgive us of that, Lord, and would you once again turn our hearts towards your Son? Would you call us, Lord, deeper into your very presence that we might find deep soul satisfaction in you alone? We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.